Good morning, Chapel Hill. It is great to welcome you to worship. Great to have our kids section over here rooting us on. That's wonderful. Thank you for being here, and uh, it's good to see each week we're getting a few more people who are coming back. For those of you at home who are not yet able to be with us, we look forward to that time that you can join us. It's safe and it's good, and we'd love you to come on back. But until then, we're really glad that we can meet with you this way, virtually. I want to start this morning by throwing you a softball. Here it is. How many have had enough of COVID? Could I see your hands? <laughs> oh man, are we fed up, right? Enough of masks, enough of social distancing, enough of mandates, enough of gloomy newspaper accounts. Everybody, by the way, in the room, everyone raised their hand, and I suspect it's true for you at home. I've certainly had enough of it all, but it seems that we are not yet done with this journey. It seems that we're going to still have to wait a little while. And so here's the second question. How many love waiting? Raise your hand. Not a single hand went up here. And I am with you. I am not a good waiter. Sometimes, though, we have no choice. Like in this present moment, we don't have any choice. We're just going to have to wait a while. And it was also true for the Israelites in the story of the Exodus. They had to wait a lot. Here's the good news about waiting. God uses waiting to train and to shape his people. God uses waiting to train us and to shape us. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to have a sermon series that we're calling Wait Training. And we're going to take a good look at the story of the Exodus, where we are right now, and hopefully we're going to learn from them, maybe learn from their mistakes, about the ways that God was using the wanderings of the people to to shape them into his covenant people. And my hope is that a year from now, or whenever it is that COVID is finally done, that we will be able to work back, look back and say, God really taught me some life-changing, transformational lessons during this time of waiting, this time of wandering. And I think that the first lesson that I see in this section of the story of Exodus is a very simple one. I think God would like to teach us this lesson. Here, here it is. No whining. Would you say it out loud with me, please? No whining. Are there any whiners that are out there? Anyone who wants to admit? Thank you for your honesty. There are a few of us. I suspect I am a little bit too. And if you fall into that category, then you were in great company. Because the Israelites were world-class whiners. You've never seen a more whiny bunch coming down the pike. They love to grumble. And not just once in a while. They turned it really into a national pastime. And so we're going to look at that this morning and see how it might speak to our lives in this present situation. Let's think back to last week, that great message that Gunnar preached to us on really what was the epic moment in the history of the people of Israel. That moment when God led them out of Egypt, not across the the Red Sea, but through it. I mean, separated the waters. They went through on dry land and then collapsed the walls of that water right on top of their enemies, the the Egyptian army. It was a, in one moment, the Israelites were in a death trap with their backs up against the Red Sea. And the next moment, God had swallowed up their enemies. When the Israelites got to the other side and they looked back with amazement and saw God's handiwork, they could hardly believe their eyes. They could hardly believe what they saw. And then, led by their great leader, Moses, they broke into song. Exodus 15 is mostly a song. And I want us to turn to that passage. I'm going to 
draw, draw some excerpts out of that song for us to listen to uh, as we are reminded of how they lift their praise, lifted their praise to God in that moment. Here's what they sang. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blasts of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So, God, would you speak to us through these words of praise? Would you speak to us through the stories we're going to hear this day? Make us people that are fit for your kingdom. Train us, even in this time of waiting, and start right now in our next lesson. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you saw, if you were opening up your Bible, that the song is much longer than that. I only shared a few stanzas of it with you, but it was enough for us to catch the flavor of this moment of celebration when two million men, women, and children raised their voices in praise to the Lord for His deliverance. It was so significant that the writer of Exodus had to capture this for posterity. There is no other song in the book of Exodus. This is it. But this one was so important because we get the sense that finally the people understand who God really is. Finally they understand that this God who sent Moses to save them, who sent the ten plagues to save them, who destroyed Pharaoh's army to save them, finally they understand that God is trustworthy and powerful and capable and willing to care for his people no matter what. Finally we get the sense the lesson is learned. Right? Wrong. Would that it were so. Their confidence in the provision and the power of the Lord didn't last very long. Because in the very next story in chapter 15, the very next thing, here's what we read. The people of Israel went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? It has only been three days since their deliverance. Three days since they were singing their praises to God. And yet, already they're grumbling. So God, in a miraculous act through the work of Moses, sweetens the water and they're able to drink. But the grumbling doesn't stop. The grumbling never stopped. We come to the very next chapter, chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It is so pathetic. All those good old days when we sat by the meat pots and had plenty of bread to eat and were slaves and were in bondage. Oh, those were the good old days. God responds to their grumbling 
by providing them manna every morning. They come out and there's a a sheet of bread-like substance all across the ground and they're able to gather it up. And then at night he sends quail so they'll have meat every night. And maybe now, after all that, maybe now the people will believe that God is really going to care for them, really going to provide for their needs. Nope. In the very next chapter we read... But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? God tells Moses to strike a rock. He strikes the rock, the rock rock opens, the water pours out miraculously. But it wasn't enough. It was never enough. For the rest of their journey through the wilderness, the people grumbled. In fact, it was their grumbling that finally, after 40 years of wandering, disqualified them from entering the promised land which they had been traveling to see. I lead tours to that area. I lead tours to the Holy Land. And after one unpleasant trip with one particularly unpleasant woman, I developed what I call the Tune Tour rules. If you've traveled with me, how many have traveled with me? You know the rules. Everyone has to memorize them. Everyone repeats them. Everyone abides by them. Here they are. Punctuality, jocularity, flexibility, humility, and the most memorable of the bunch, no whining. No whining. In fact, uh, one of my travelers, when we got back, gave me a, a, a sign to commemorate the event. It is a sign that goes up above the door of my office, and here it is. It says, thou shalt not whine. And I like it so much, it's a, become a motto for the entire staff. Whining is divisive. It is destructive. It is pointless. It is fruitless. And it is sinful. It is bad for the marriage, bad for relationship, bad for your children, bad for work, bad for your soul. But I'll bet even for some of you non-whiners that this last few months has ratcheted up the whine factor in your household. I know that it has in ours too. And beloved, in this season, if we're going to wait well, one of the things that has to happen, whining has got to go. We've got to get rid of it. It's got to be no place for it in the people of God. Now, I want to be clear. This doesn't mean that we can't be honest with God about our pain or our frustration or our hurts. There are times when it is appropriate to speak to the Lord of our discontent. One-third of the Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. Did you know that? One-third of them, in which the writer is telling God what is bothering him. He cries out in agony to God. He says he's scared, he's disconsolate, he's frightened, he's under-resourced, he's been abandoned. And, And there's nothing wrong with telling God the truth about how we are feeling right now. Nothing wrong at all. It's a good thing. And I'm also not saying that we ought not to bring our grievances one to another. Jesus said, listen, in order to keep a short list, that's what you got to do. When you got an offense against your brother, take it right to them and get it solved. Straighten it out. But whining is neither of those things. Whining is neither lament nor is it grievance. Whining, it isn't laying our pain before the Lord because we need his help to save us. Nor is it laying a complaint before a brother in order to be reconciled. Whining is simply complaining for the sake of complaining. 
Whining sometimes arises out of self-pity. You heard that in the text. Or entitlement. We deserve better. Or fear. There is a sick way, I suppose, that whining is a little soothing to us at the time, but it does not last. I want you to listen to this. When we whine, we romanticize our past, we dramatize our present, we antagonize our friends, and we minimize our God. Listen to it again. We romanticize our past. Everything was great. We dramatize our present. Nothing is good. We antagonize our friends. And worst of all, we minimize our God. We reduce Him. We declare that He is not powerful enough to care for this. We lose all confidence in Him. We make Him smaller than He really is. Whining is one of those acceptable sins like gossip and gluttony. But I'm telling you, whining can be more destructive, more divisive than some of its more notorious relatives. So, beloved, what are we going to do about it? The Apostle Paul told the Philippians, do all things without grumbling. So how do we obey that admonition? Well, actually, I'd like to turn back this morning to a text that Gunnar was preaching from last week. He did a terrific job, but there's always more fruit on the tree. And I want to look at it from a different angle. I think I find there are four disciplines that the Lord would urge us to undertake that will make us a less grumbly people. And here they are. Lift your eyes, shut your mouth, take one step forward, and keep singing. Say those out loud with me, would you? Lift your eyes, shut your mouth, take one step forward, and keep singing. So first, let's look at each of these briefly. First of all, lift your eyes. We're told in chapter 14 that when the people were trapped with their backs to the Red Sea, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So they lifted their eyes. The only problem is they didn't lift them high enough. They lifted their eyes only high enough to see their problems. They saw the chariots. They saw the soldiers. They saw the war horses. All they could see was trouble. They needed to lift their eyes higher still, off of their troubles, and onto the God who again and again has proven his love for them, his faithfulness to them, his power over them. Part of the cure for grumbling is to fill our eyes, our minds, our souls with the goodness of God, to soak in his word, to remember his kindness toward us, to remember his faithfulness toward us. Lift up your eyes off of your problems and lift them up to our great God. That's one cure for whining. So lift your eyes and shut your mouth. That sounds indelicate, I suppose, but I'm really drawing it from the text. I want you to remember what Moses said to his grumbling people when God wanted them to to cross the Red Sea. He said, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Only to be silent. And I don't want us to miss that part. Just be quiet. If you catch yourself grumbling about how hard things are right now, and if there's nothing redemptive or hopeful about what you are saying, maybe you ought to stop saying it. If we could beg the Holy Spirit to help us shut our mouths sooner and more often, 
a lot of the division and the dissension and the fear would never be sown in the first place. I literally caught myself doing this the other day. I was on a rant. I was ripping it. And I caught myself and I said out loud, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because it is doing no one any good. Ask the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you to help you control your mouth. So lift your eyes, shut your mouth. Here's the third. Take one step forward. And I actually love this, verse 15 out of chapter 14. That's where I draw this from. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Think about that. God is saying, I've heard your prayers. I've told you what to do. Let's stop talking about it and start doing it. Sometimes we whine because it's easier to complain than it is to do something about it. You know, you, your marriage needs, uh, you need marriage counseling, but it's easier to whine about your husband or wife than get the help. You know, you need to get your drinking under control, but it's easier to whine about your issues than to go to celebrate recovery. You, you know that you need a job change, but it is easier to whine about it than to get the training you need for a new career. Sometimes we don't know what God wants us to do, what course we are to take. But often, I think more often, our problem is not that we don't know what God wants us to do. It's that we know what God wants us to do, and we just don't do it. Our path forward is clear, and we just don't want to take that path. Take one step forward. But you might protest, wait a second, this sermon is about weight training. It's about waiting, not going, not moving. We're learning how to wait on the Lord. How does this fit? And here's how I think it fits. Waiting does not mean paralysis. In our story, the people were told to to go forward. But forward in this case didn't mean to the promised land. It meant just through the Red Sea. It wasn't the whole journey that they were to take. It was the next essential step in the journey. Waiting isn't doing nothing. Sometimes waiting is doing just the next step right thing? Is there a next step forward that you could take even now? Cindy and I really reflected on this in this political season, and we realized in our case, our next step was in civic participation. We donated to a candidate, and we even did some sign-waving, something that we have never done before. He lost, but we did it. Because we knew we could not continue to whine about the state of our state unless we were willing to do something about it. For you, maybe it means that your next step would be serving in ways you have never served before. Maybe it's a a virtual care package that you send to World Relief Haiti. Or maybe it's building a, a, a compassion kit for the rescue mission. Or maybe it's serving as a volunteer for Fish Food Bank, which is in desperate need. All of those things are on our website chapelhillpc.org forward slash one step forward. And, that, and there you could find some ways to translate your instinct to gripe and grouse into an act of grace. Lift your eyes, shut your mouth, take one step forward. And finally, as an antidote to whining, I would say this. Keep on singing. Would you say that aloud with me? Keep on singing. I've always thought it was curious 
that this long song appears in the middle of Exodus. The only song, it's in the book, as I told you. It's the sort of thing, when you read it, that you think, well, that ought to be in the Psalms, not in Exodus. So I thought to myself, why? Why this one? And why is it here? Here's why I think. I think this was Israel at their best. I think it was worth remembering because it was Israel at their best. They were fresh off of a miraculous salvation. Their trust in the Lord could never be stronger. Their hope for their future could never be brighter. Their perception of who God was could never be clearer. And so they just sang their hearts out. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The Lord will reign forever and ever. This is how they saw God in that moment. It was at their best. They got it in this moment of worship. It was their finest hour. Oh, if they had just kept singing that song. Oh, if they had just kept singing that song. If when they became thirsty, they worshipped instead of grumbling. If when they became hungry, they worshipped instead of grumbling. If when they became frightened or tired or worn or terrified, they had raised their hands in praise instead of their fist in accusation against the Lord. What difference might that have made? You know that the journey to get from where they were to the promised land was about a three-day journey? A three-day journey. And yet they spent 40 years. Why did they wander for 40 years? It's because God was trying to train them to be his people. To trust him and rely on him and love him as he loved them. No matter what he did, it was never enough. And alas, they never did trust him. And so you know what God did? He kept his covenant anyway. He kept loving, kept provide, protecting, kept guiding, kept saving. They didn't deserve it, those whiny Israelites. Neither do we. But that is the nature of our gracious God. He keeps loving, keeps protecting, keeps guiding, keeps saving us. And we ought to know this way better than Israel because we have seen those promises to them fulfilled completely. In the person of Jesus, we see his promises fulfilled. It is Jesus who is the living water. It is Jesus who is the the bread of life. It is Jesus who was the better Moses and the perfect Savior. Jesus gave us perfectly everything that Israel only tasted of. And we have far more reason to sing than they. So, beloved, keep on singing. Keep on singing in this time. Keep worshiping every week. Every day, keep worshiping. If it is safe for you, friends, consider coming back because there's nothing like, am I right? There's nothing like the sounds of your brothers and sisters as they lift up their singing. Come back and join us. On August 18th, come and join us. We are going to have a Kingdom Come Worship and Prayer Night. August 18th, right here. Come and be a part of that. Maybe it means changing your radio channel. I'm a news channel junkie. I've turned it off. I've put it on praise music because I cannot take it anymore. 
So I'm listening to more and more Christian music. The greatest antidote to grumbling is to lift your voice up and praise to God. And surely, even in this moment, even with whatever hardships you are facing, there are things that you can lift up to God that are worthy of your praise. And so here's mine. Here's the song of praise that I'm singing right now. I'm going to be a grandpa. That's my song of praise. And it's going to be a little girl. Cooper and Deb, Cooper and Deb, my son Cooper and my beautiful, sweet daughter-in-law, Deb, uh, they're going to have a little girl. And I'm telling you, son, from personal experience, that little girl is going to have you wrapped around her finger, just as my little girl still has me wrapped around her finger. Family, family, it is a gift worth singing about. My beloved sweetheart church, you've always been resilient. You've always endured hard things in the past and come out stronger. God has always had his hand on you, and he is never going to let you go. He will bring us through this too, and I want you to believe that, and I want you to speak that, and I want you to sing of that, because it is true. Let us pray. We thank you that you are faithful, God. We thank you that... You are the God who loves us, calls us, protects us, empowers us, guides us, and has gifted us for ministry. We thank you that we've seen the promises that the Israelites only dreamt of fulfilled in the coming of Jesus and in the giving of your Holy Spirit. And so we who have even more reason to sing, we lift our voices of praise to you once again. Forgive us, God, when our eyes drop and we see only the problems, we see only the enemies. Forgive us when we are frightened. Forgive us when we open our mouth to complain instead of praising. Forgive us when we are paralyzed, frozen, unwilling to take even the next step to which you call us. And forgive us when we stop singing. But God, today we sing again. And we pray that you will meet us in in our praise and it will delight you even as it empowers and encourages us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said,